Hey, photographers, welcome to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz, and really I'm just here to help you build a sustainable photography business. That certainly means helping you improve your photographic skills and enabling you to become a stronger business owner, but it also means helping you work more efficiently so you don't get burnt out in the long run. We are sponsored by PhotographersEdit.com, custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu.com, that's M-I-I-L-U.com, the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing. All right, let's get into today's episode. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are here for yet another new episode of the Book of Podcasts, but actually quite an unusual one, a little bit meta, if you will. Um, our producer at the Book of Podcasts, Haley Gaffin, is here with us. What's up, Haley? <laughs> it's so weird to be on this side of the microphone, or I guess this side of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, well, we were just talking before I hit the record button. We actually did an episode together back in what, episode number 53. This is going to be like episode 450 something. So literally 400 episodes ago, we actually did an interview back in September of 2017. It's crazy. It feels so long ago, but also not that long ago, if like I'm being honest. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it is kind of weird like that. Um, think about even just what we've been through this year as a company, as individuals. Um, it's been kind of crazy. So I think it kind of feels like it stretched time out. But yeah, three years ago, 400 episodes. And I have to give you a massive shout out. I mean, I, I do on a regular basis. Um, as you're editing these shows, too, you probably hear it. But Haley has been producing the book of podcasts for us now for, well, three years uh, or even a little bit longer than that. And has just done a wonderful job for us. Not only produces the podcast, but for everybody listening and who doesn't know, she also heads up the digital marketing for certainly the Boca brand, Boca podcast brand, also for Photographer's Edit and for Milu. So you've got your hands full. Um, yeah. And I, I've said this to you a million times. I'm not a good multitasker. The way that you can juggle not only these things, but it seems like a million other things too, as a, as an entrepreneur is pretty incredible. And that really is a great segue to my first question about brand position. Uh, for anybody listening, if you don't know Haley's website, I'm going to send you there now because this will give context to our conversation about brand position. But if you go to Gaffin, G-A-F-F-I-N creative.com, uh, you can actually see the brand position of sorts there on the homepage. Talk to us a little bit about that, Haley. Yeah, so I've actually been working on refining this brand position for a while now, and I feel like it always changes. But when people ask, I say that I help small businesses and entrepreneurs grow their business through photography, marketing, and podcast production. Wow. Oh, that's a beautiful summation. Like we need that right there on the homepage of your site. That's really great, actually. I'm working on getting it to where it should be. I My biggest struggle now is I feel like it's too many things happening at once, like when people ask me what I do. So I almost want to break it into different segments or I guess arms of the business, which I tried doing on the existing website. And it's one of those things. It's always a work in progress, it seems like. Well, I, I think that the way that you just stated it though as such a beautiful summation of what you're doing. I mean, it, it encompasses everything you're doing, but it centers around this idea of helping creatives develop their business. And then you have the three arms through which you do that. I think it's a really great summation of it. And for everybody listening in, it's a really great example too of what we talk about when when establishing a clear and ideally distinct brand position, 
one of the biggest challenges can be communicating what that position is in a really succinct manner. Because myself included, we as photographers have a tendency of being overly wordy. Uh, trying to sum it up that succinctly can be a bit challenging. Did it take you a little bit, Haley? It did at first because I was trying to do the thing that everyone else does where it's like trying to um, highlight my ideal client in it. And I finally realized like if I take a look at all of my clients, I don't have an ideal client. It's just small businesses and entrepreneurs. And that ranges from, you know, so many different types of businesses Mm. that I could not nail down a niche. So all I knew is I loved working with other entrepreneurs and business owners, and that's where I wanted to go. And from there, I just listed my services. Now, we talked about this, I think, at least briefly in episode 53. Again, it's crazy to to say that. We'll link to the episode in the show notes. It'll probably be kind of funny, actually, to go back and listen to it, (laughs) even for me, because our interviewing and production skills, I I know, have improved since then. Um, But nonetheless, we talked a little bit about how you are kind of originally really a wedding photographer and mm-hmm. do you still have your photography business. I mean, you allude to that there on your, your site, but what type of photography? So now I only shoot families when they ask and it's usually like friends, but I market myself as a headshot and branding photographer and then also doing like product photography. And I recently introduced pet portraits as like a passion project. So that one I'm still getting off the ground. Cool. Well, and, and we'll certainly link to, I say we, the, the, the irony again <laughs> here is that Haley's going to actually link to her own Instagram, which is Haley, H-A-Y-L-E-E, Gaffin, G-A-F-F-I-N, in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. Uh, we'll also link to your studio. This is kind of an interesting business venture you, last, you launched in, what, the last year or so? Yeah, a year ago in October. Okay, so Gaffin Creative Studio, just like it sounds. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Talk to our listeners a little bit about this idea. Yes. So I realized there were not too many studios in my area for photographers to shoot at. And um, I was looking for a space that wasn't necessarily a commercial space, but more of a space that I could one meet with my clients that wanted brand photos and have a space for them if they didn't have one. But then also in the marketing side of my business, like I had a few clients I'd meet out at Dunkin Donuts or Starbucks. And it's not always the most professional thing to meet people there or even when I'm consulting with clients. So I wanted a space I could call my office, but then also a space that could serve other photographers in the area. And so that's when I found this rental space that allowed me to come in and kind of remodel it and make it my own. And it turned out beautifully too. And for anybody listening in, if you haven't seen that Instagram account, go check it out. Gaffin Creative Studio. Get a feel for the inside of the studio. It's really simple, um, but just beautifully done. Pretty flexible too, I would say, just having spent a little bit of time there. In fact, we even recorded some marketing content there at one point. But it seems like it's pretty flexible and that things can be moved around and set up as needed for the photographer. Is that the case? Yes, that was what I was going for because I wanted a photographer to be able to bring their style into the studio. And so I have very clean decorations and then they're very easily removable. So the space is big enough to where I could move all of the furniture out of one of the rooms if I needed to and bring in other photographers furniture or if they want to rent furniture from like a rental company, they can do that too. Well, I've I'm not sure if I've ever said this to you, maybe mention it on the fly, but I do have a lot of respect for not only your ability to be able to multitask, but just that you've, mm-hmm. you've 
I guess, ultimately experimented with various ventures and seen what's worked and what's not and made adjustments and, and continue to push forward in that way. And um, so y'all make sure that you go follow what Haley's doing at these Instagram accounts. It's, it's Gaffin Creative Studio and then Haley Gaffin as well. Now, let me get to the next question. And you're in an interesting position because you have been a, or you are a photographer uh, and have been over the years. Of course, you have this studio as well. You're involved in, in marketing in the marketing realm and various uh, aspects of the marketing realm. You also work for Photographers Edit. So you're working with photographers. Uh, you're working for clients of photographers uh, or you, the photographer, I should say, in the end. So you're, you're kind of on both ends of the spectrum where you have your own clients, but then you're working for our clients. I wonder what this all means when it comes to customer experience. Um, is there a been a particular idea that ultimately has really stuck that you feel like has made a big difference when it comes to providing a great customer experience for those that you work with? Yes. And it's actually, since I have listened to and edited every show, it is one of the most common uh, answers and it's communication. Okay, I don't think that it's something that you can get it right every single time. I feel like communication is ever changing and there's always something you can be improving on. And yeah. it's something that Almost every week I find something where I could have done something better to communicate, whether it's with the photographers at a team or a photography client that I've shot and not expressed in email like, hey, you're going to get your photos in three to five days. And they're emailing me the next day asking where their photos are. So it's definitely something that can always be improved upon. Yeah. And I've learned this even kind of the hard way at times too. And I've, I've broken the fourth wall of sorts here on the podcast talking about this, my working relationship with you that now spans what, three years or so has been an interesting one for me because I'd had, I mean, we've had a team at Photographer's Edit for some time now, uh, but I didn't have the opportunity to work with somebody locally, one-on-one meeting in person and, and over a longer period of time. And so I really had to learn how to do a better job and, and still working, as you, as you alluded to, this idea of <laughs> ongoing development of our communication skills. I had to do, learn to do a better job of communicating because as much as I will laugh at times at photographers and their lack of ability to be able to communicate what it is that they want, uh, particularly when it comes to editing, and it's, it's so funny and I can laugh because I'm guilty of the same thing, but like you have photographers that will just kind of send us their images and, and really literally, not even figuratively, but literally expect us to read their mind and then they're unhappy if we don't process their images correctly. And I think we all in some form or fashion, whether in our personal relationships or business relationships have that tendency, or at least it's easy to do where we just kind of give a little bit of information and hope that the other person gets the rest of it. I've been guilty of that. I know many times with you, what has it been like, I guess, to be on the other side of that, to, to learn to work. I mean, we've, we talked about the idea of you as a photographer working with clients, but then like even working for photographers at it, working with me, what has that process been like learning how to communicate? I definitely, I mean, there's definitely different ways that people communicate. And I think you and I have talked about this on multiple occasions of understanding what it is you're asking for versus what I'm interpreting that you're asking for. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> and I think that's something that you have to continue to ask questions and be open to feedback. Hmm. Because I know like when I first started working on the podcast, um, and I've told you this before, I hated it because I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, I've never edited podcasts before. I've never written show notes. Like 
this is not my favorite part of the job. What am I doing? And then after like feedback and getting 10 or so episodes in, I loved it. And like, I fell in love with podcast editing and just want every person I know to become a podcast host so that I can help them launch their podcast. (laughs) Yeah. You've had to do a a lot of hard work behind the scenes in order to help us get Boca where it's at today. I mean, that's so much back and forth between the two of us, both with the editing and the marketing piece of it. Yeah. And I think that had we not had that back and forth, I would have been open to just quitting the podcast and saying, Nathan, I don't want to do this, (laughs) but being able to, to ask you questions and you like giving me real feedback of, you shouldn't have done it this way or, you know, however, whatever the feedback is and the communication is, I think that ended up helping. Well, I know it ended up helping how every episode has turned out since then. Now we're 400 episodes past where I started. So. Which is crazy. Yeah. But you know what? I Number one, 100%, I agree with you. I mean, if for anybody listening, and we will link to episode 53 in the show notes, because you got to go back and listen and compare the difference in quality, again, both in the interviewing process, because I've, I've worked really hard at that, uh, but in the production value. And for that matter, Haley, we're, we're talking about the significance of of communication. I mean, even your calm and collectiveness or collectedness, if you will, in this discussion now is just like light years beyond what you were when you first got started. So fortunately, we've both grown through this. But I think one of the things that's made a big difference um, in that, and you alluded to it slightly just a second ago, is the the kind of open door, if you will, that I encouraged for the sake of at times even blunt communication. And there have been instances where you and I have had pretty, uh, shall we say, straightforward back and forth interactions. But ultimately, I think having room for that has been really good. And, and I know personally, I, I have to kind of set my ego aside for that at times. Um, but it's it's good to do that just in general. Uh, and ultimately keep an open mind to somebody else's perspective. And if it weren't for that, I think that's a pretty important element of why we've been able to get where we are today. And I mean, how would you say that that plays into, because you, you're you also in an interesting position in that you've outsourced your editing to Photographer's Edit as a photographer, the importance of communication and open line of communication when it comes to being able to delegate anything to anyone, what is your perspective on that? Yeah, so I... I definitely have gotten back catalogs that I could have communicated better on. When I outsource all of my editing to Photographer's Edit, my preferred method is to edit within the catalog and label them green so that they'll use those images to match the rest of the catalog yeah, too. Yeah. And there have been times where I'll edit like two or three photos and just expect the same thing across the board. And then when I get it back, I realize... I edited two or three photos that I didn't actually pay that much attention to. And I don't love how I edited the photos. So I think it's very much if we're not telling how we want our photos edited or how we want things done, there's, it's not going to happen. Like there's no mind reading in life, unfortunately. But you know, what's interesting about that is, uh, and, and, it feels like on an ongoing basis, I'm on the other side of a conversation or just listening to somebody talk about their frustration with a relationship. This could be a work relationship, a personal relationship. They're frustrated with a situation and a relationship with somebody else or some other people. And so much of it, it's hard not to notice that so much of it exists because there isn't an open line of communication. And I know that mm-hmm. you've told me before that this idea that we can like be blunt and open and kind of communicate our feelings in the moment wasn't something that you were used to previously. I know that photographers have talked to me about how they don't even want to give photographers edit negative feedback because they feel bad doing it. 
what was it like kind of making a transition to a place where you felt like you, there was room for you to, to be blunt with me? Um, I think I definitely know at first it was very much, I, I kept my space and didn't really say too much. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then I think when you started asking me like what my actual thoughts were on it and forcing me to give feedback, eventually it came to the point where if I had a different opinion than you, it, it almost, the door was already open. Like you opening it up for my opinion to be received. Yeah. Um, even if it wasn't always the right opinion, it could have led to something else. It could have led to another idea. If it was a dumb idea, it could have led to a brilliant idea. Just having that door open has been really nice. And that has actually trans like transferred over into all of my other customers that I've worked with of if I screw up, I'm very open about it. And I say, listen, I don't think whatever I did is working and here's why, and here's how I want to fix it. Huh? That's interesting. So it kind of enabled a certain level of confidence on your end too. Well, I I know this is a, and I said this earlier, but the communication is an ongoing learning process for me, certainly. And you've been extremely, extremely patient with me through all of this. And I really appreciate that. But ultimately, it's truly been such a massive part of what has enabled us to get to this place now, three years later, you know, 450 plus episodes recorded. And um, the the Boca podcast has become not only an important part of what we do at Photographers Edit, uh, but it's been really cool to see the impact it's been making on the industry too. The feedback that we've gotten is so, so encouraging. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm stoked to have you as a part of that. Let me let me jump to to the next question though. And this is something, as you know, we talk about quite a bit on the podcast, time, time management. And as I said earlier, you're you're a multitasker in a way that I can't really relate to. I'm just not great at juggling multiple things simultaneously. I don't feel like I can give the mental resources to each of those <laughs> things as effectively. Um, I get kind of distracted and, and just it's not as focused. Anyway, that being said, you're, you've got a lot on your plate that you're juggling, and yet it seems as though you're able to manage it pretty effectively. You still have some freedom and flexibility in your life. What has enabled that? There are a few programs that help with that. Okay, <laughs> I use a lot of templates. So like I do use HoneyBook in my business for all of my contracts and emails. So anytime an email is sent from HoneyBook, it originates from a template so that I don't have to take the time to write it. Um, I'll customize and personalize it a little bit, but everything that I could possibly need is in that template. And then when it comes to like actually getting work done, task managers and checklists are my best friend. (laughs) I use, um, I know we use Todoist for photographers edit. And then on my personal side, I also use Asana. So I do have a ton of my photographers edit tasks in there just so that I can gauge my day and understand like, oh, these are all the tasks I have to get done. Are there any things that could move to tomorrow or I know I'm not going to get done that need to be rearranged so that I can plan out my full week and then every single day. And how, I think you've shown me a little bit before of how you've got Asana set up. What does your workflow look like in Asana on a daily basis. Are you checking that at certain times each day? Are you starting with that and then and just working off another list the rest of the day? What does it look like? So what I do is I, I do time block. I know some people like yourself don't love time blocking, but <laughs> it helps me to know like if I'm working on photographers edit for the first three hours of my day and then I have a break, what am I getting done? So I will only have photographers edit um, as a project open. Okay. So that's all I can see. And then if I'm working like a lot of nights, I'll end up working on studio stuff. So whether it's 
working on social media or I need to send out contracts or follow up with people. That's like a whole other section that I only see when I open that project so that I'm not getting distracted by other clients or other projects. And every single or I guess client type has its own project within Asana. Interesting. Okay. And and you're using that in addition, HoneyBook doesn't have a project manager of sorts built into it, does it? Or is it, is it kind of a lighter weight version of it? They have a lightweight version that is more of like task per project, but I don't, I've never really taken advantage of that mostly because it doesn't, um, it doesn't give me as many options for like workflow as I would like. Okay. Like Asana does have a task list and then they also have boards. So I recently started using boards for podcast editing hmm. just to test it out. And I'm, I'm still, you know, you have to figure out if you like something or not. And yeah. with podcast editing, I have found that an Excel spreadsheet or I guess a Google sheet has been my easiest route because I don't have to type in projects every time I just type in a name and then have like little check marks on everything that has actually gotten done by it. Interesting. So as opposed to creating a a project that can be replicated in Asana, you do it on a spreadsheet? Correct. Yes. Huh. Okay. See, again, your, your ability to multitask and all these different systems, I'm like, give me one, one system, one place I can go (laughs) that we can stick to. I think I'm trying to remember if it was since you came on board a few years back that we made a switch from a different task manager. Were we already in Todoist when you came on board? Yes, already in Todoist. Okay. And I know that we've kind of we've considered, I think, other possibilities in, in through the last three years. But to your point, I mean, ultimately, I think it's good to, it, it is good to experiment. Um, but at the end of the day, we just need a system. We need to stick with it. You've been really consistent with Asana. Todoist has kind of been our primary platform for some time. I use it both personally and professionally. It's a really clean, simple interface, and I, I really like that about it. But having a place where we can go and, and not just have one simple long task list, but a place that we can actually organize those tasks would be really helpful if we've got a, our hands in a lot of different things. We'll link to both those platforms uh, as well as HoneyBook in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. And I, I mentioned this uh, on in the episodes on an ongoing basis, really. But Haley does put together a really great resource in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. So everybody listening in, if you're not taking advantage, make sure you do. You'll see the talking points there, links to the resources that we discuss, and uh, you can check it out, take advantage of that. Let's talk about, we actually alluded to it just briefly, the idea of outsourcing. You said you outsource your editing. Are there any other parts of your business that you have learned to, to delegate or to outsource? Yes, I don't do my taxes. Someone else does those. Brilliant. (laughs) And then I recently have started outsourcing my blogging and social media for the studio. Okay. um, Just because I'm at the point where I know I need to be marketing it more on social media and then also like working on my SEO, but finding time and like actually enjoying doing those things. I'm realizing I don't love blogging (laughs) and I don't love doing social media for myself. So I've outsourced those. Well, you've got your hands full with that too. With all the social media work that you're doing, even just for the PE and, and Boca podcast, and of course, Milu brands, uh, and then all the, the show notes. I mean, it's essentially blogging what you're doing for each Boca mm-hmm. podcast episode as well. You're probably a little bit burnt out on it, huh? 
maybe after 400 episodes. <laughs> no, no I, I love that because it's it's easy. You know, it, it comes from the guest and I'm not the one like actually creating all of the content. I'm just organizing it. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. When it comes to finding the right accountant, I know that, that for me, and I mentioned this on the podcast before, but accounting, managing the numbers was, was just a really a massive apprehension for me and, and really a source of kind of fear and stress for the longest time. And it affected my ability to be a really great photography business owner. What did you do to find an accountant that, that you gelled with really well that you felt could kind of take that off your plate so you didn't have to worry about it? Yeah, I ended up doing what most people do when I posted on Facebook looking for one. Okay. <laughs> and a girl that I went to high school with was working at her aunt's firm at the time. And she said, Hey, come in and meet with my friend Shelby. She's amazing at small business accounting. So I went in and I spent an hour talking to her, asking her all these questions. And at the end of it, I was like, Oh my gosh, I don't even want to know what the bill is going to be for this. I don't know what their hourly rate is. And so I was like, yeah, so what do I owe you for today? Cause I was set on working with her because she just had an answer for everything and could help me. And like, went through all of my paperwork to make sure I was an actual business. (laughs) And at the end of it, she was like, Oh no, this is just a free consultation to make sure that we're a good fit. And she answered more questions than anyone I had ever talked to could have answered. Wow! And for me, it was like luck that I found her. Um, and I recommend her to everyone locally to me. Huh? Okay. Well, that's cool. I, it's, there's something to be said for, I mean, certainly finding chemistry in the companies and the individuals that we delegate work to. But I know for me personally, again, to just take to to ease that potential stress of not exactly knowing how to manage this thing or that or figure this out or where this number goes or how this write-off works. Um, Having somebody that's just got my back and is going to take care of it. I've been lucky enough to find somebody I've been working with for years now. Uh, It really does make a big difference. So anybody listening in, if you're still you know, putting receipts in trash bags and, and, uh, trying to do your taxes on a spreadsheet. Um, it's time to find somebody (laughs) and get set up with QuickBooks online. And my goodness, it takes so much stress off, off our plates as business owners. Talk to me about a self-help book, business book, really any book that's made a really big impact in your life in the last few years. Yeah. So I've, I actually gave up business books for a little while just because I wasn't getting too much out of them. I was learning more from podcasts, but I recently, I'm about halfway through this book. It's uh, Chasing the Bright Side by Jess Ekstrom. Okay. And I love that it's relatable and it's not fluffy. And I know we've talked about fluffy books before and feel good books, but this one, like she goes into where she failed in business and what she actually learned from it. And I really like that because there have been plenty of times in the last year that I failed the studio or I failed whatever it is. And I feel like not enough authors actually share that kind of content. It's just all, you've got this, you can do it. But I want, I want to hear the failures and like how they came out of them. So almost like a a strategy of sorts that like a step-by-step process with which they were able to come out of those. Yeah, so she she does share how she's come out of them, but honestly, I think it's just one of those books where she's encouraging you to continue on in the race even when you think that there's not more race to be had. Hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah, we have you and I have talked about fluffy content for I mean endless amounts of time at this point because <laughs> we're so heavily involved in creating content for the podcast. And one of the biggest concerns that I've had is that we're not just kind of adding noise to the world that we actually create content that is of value, actionable content that our listeners can take and do something with, even if it's a small piece of something that they can walk away and do something with it. And um, it really has, it seems to become really popular in the last few years to, to not only read, but then promote these, these books that do have, at least based on the title anyway, seem to have this kind of fluffy, feel-good feeling to them. And it's, I guess you kind of wonder, like, how much of that is actually going to be applied? How much depth does it carry? Will it actually make a big impact on somebody's life? Um, but that's interesting. I don't, I don't think I've heard of this particular book before. Where did you find it? Um, I actually follow Jess on Instagram. She started Headbands of Hope. And oh, okay. um, so I recently added it to my library and I was like, I'm going to listen to one business book because during quarantine, I got sucked into like teen novels, which I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> there's this movie on Netflix called to all the boys I loved before. Yeah. And it's a whole series. There's three books and I listened to all of them in like a two week span. <laughs> and then I just got caught on to listening to like, um, it's just teen fiction, I guess. Okay. Like, like what, like what's the name? What's another book, an example of a book there's PS, I still love you. And then, okay. So this is all in the, within that series that you were talking yeah, about. Okay. It's got just it. that series. That's, that's really funny. Actually. We've had some pretty amusing conversations over the years. We haven't actually met in person for a meeting in what, like six months almost now. Yes, it was mid-March, I guess, like yeah. right before everything closed down. March 17th, I think, was the last date that we actually, because Haley and I normally would meet on average of once a week, in some cases a couple of times a week, but um, we would get together likely at a Starbucks or at a coffee shop downtown and um, go over you know various things that we were doing with, with the companies. And um, <laughs> we would have some entertaining conversations at times about whatever we were watching, whatever show we were watching at the time. Uh, but I, yeah, I wouldn't have guessed the teen books. Although I will say there are certain, I guess you could call them children's books that I've really enjoyed over the years. Uh, have you ever heard of 21 Balloons? I think you've mentioned it before, but I've I probably never read did. It. <laughs> <laughs> it is, it is one. Of, I, I think, I mean, I'm a hugely sentimental person and things that are kind of throwbacks to my childhood, I, I tend to eat up. Uh, and one of those things is, is some of these books that I've read, a few of these books that I read as a kid, 21 balloons is the most beautiful thing. It, it's, it's entertaining. Um, it's e certainly easy to read, uh, but just a, a really warm and it, I don't know, it makes you kind of feel warm inside too. Um, it's a really lovely book. We'll link to that in the show notes too, for anybody who's curious, along with chasing the bright side, we'll kind of get the best of both worlds here. Um, and you know, if Taylor wants to throw in her, her teen books, a link to the teen <laughs> books in the show notes, we'll do that too. <laughs> That's super funny. Well, I, I want to get to our main topic for today, um, because Haley and I are not just here to talk about what it's like to work with each other. Um, we're going to also talk about something that really hasn't been discussed on the show to date. Um, at least not in any kind of detail. And that is developing and ultimately posting an effective Google business listing and, you know, off off the cuff, like I wouldn't guess that it's an overly complicated thing, but what you were kind of alluding to me or alluding to with me the other day was that if you don't do this the right way, you actually, you can miss out on an opportunity when it comes to your website and SEO. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. So we're going to get into the details of that here in just a second, but how long ago did you actually start using Google business listing? So I started using it one year ago when I opened my studio. 
Ah, okay. So is that what you're specifically using the listing for? Is your studio not the photography business or any of the other things you're doing? That's correct. But I will say that um, it has impacted my the photography business as well. Um, so I am getting a lot more photography inquiries from the Google business listing. And this is probably goes without saying, but I would assume that the value there for the studio is that you've got a physical location where somebody can find you. And I mean, is that really the why that's the biggest value for the studio versus the other businesses? Yes. So that, that is the, um, well, that's also the reason that I only opened it's Google, my business. Now, I don't know why they changed it from Google business listing, but I opened up the Google, my business listing okay. <laughs> for the fact that, that I had a physical location and prior to opening the studio, I never really saw value in it, but now that I'm in it and I'm getting inquiries for photography as well. It's almost making it a a need in my business, even more so than my SEO. Interesting. So is it in some way tied, and maybe you're going to comment on this later, but is it in some way tied, is it, does Google recognize that you are the same person that runs your photography brand and somehow give additional exposure to the photography website as well? Yes. So the way I have my business set up is I, my brand is Gaffin Creative, and then I've branded the studio as the studio by Gaffin Creative. Ah. So my Google business listing is for the physical location of the studio by Gaffin Creative. And then I have all of my services as categories. Outside of podcast production, for some reason, they don't offer that as a category on Google business listings. But I have like photography, photography studio, and then it connects to your website so that it can crawl your website for your Google business listing. Yeah. So we'll get into the significance of that relationship between the business listing and and our website and SEO in just a second, certainly in more detail. But talk to us about the significance of this Google, uh, Google my business to to use the correct (laughs) phrase or, or name, the significance of the listing for your business. What kind of success have you seen from it over the last year? Yeah. So for my business, I've always really focused on referrals and my network for getting business and marketing. Um, I've not actually put too much emphasis on social media marketing or anything. And I've noticed that in all of my inquiries, so for my studio rentals, I do know a lot of photographers locally. So I was getting inquiries that way, but a lot of people are just Googling photography or Chattanooga photography studio. And I've realized about 40% of my inquiries from the last year have come from Google, whether that's SEO or the Google, my business listing. I'm not, there's no distinction between that, that I have. Um, and usually they don't know which one they came from. They just click on whatever they see. Okay. Uh, But with that, about 50% of my headshot photography clients have been coming from the, my Google business listing. Oh, wow. Okay, so that's a pretty significant amount. And you were talking about not knowing the difference between SEO and the Google My Business listing. Are there some metrics? I know we have metrics analytics set up for SEO for, for photographers edit, for example. Uh, I'm assuming you do for your site as well. But are there some types of, is there a separate set of metrics or analytics that we can look at for Google Business listing? Yes. So there are insights within your Google, uh, Google My Business account and it'll tell you like what keywords people searched and how many people actually clicked on your listing and clicked to your website. Um, I just haven't found a way to connect like who's actually inquired from that. Huh. Okay. 
So you, you said earlier that there is this connection between, and I got to keep remembering to say it the right way, Google My Business <laughs> listing and website and SEO. And this is a pretty big deal because, again, from the outside looking in, as one who's not set up a Google Business listing or Google My Business listing, I would just assume it's kind of a, um, I mean, it's certainly another way that Google is able to send me traffic. I wouldn't necessarily assume that it's associated with SEO. What, is that, what does that mean? What does that look like? Yeah. So the the first thing I'll say is I've looked through all of my SEO for my photography studio specifically and for the business listing. So if I were to Google Chattanooga Photography Studio for my SEO, I rank number one. For the business listing, I rank number four. Um, And that's specifically for like gaffincreative.com slash studio. That's what's pulling up. But if, if I were to look at um, Chattanooga headshot photographer under the business listing, I rank sixth, but in SEO, I don't even rank on the first page. So I'm getting headshot inquiries from my Google business listing or Google my business listing (laughs) for headshot photographer before I'm even getting ranked for SEO. Whoa, really? Okay. And it, have you done, I mean, I know the amount of, you do a pretty incredible amount of research, even just in the SEO work and, and the marketing work that you do for us. Have you done some research into why this might be? Because it seems almost like an unfair advantage. Yeah. So it's definitely with the business listing, they are looking more, they're focusing more on what is geographically closer to the searcher inquiring in okay. the search. Okay. Um, so for my SEO, I am working on the pages, obviously. And it would be more helpful if I had a blog, which right now I don't, but I'm working on that. Outsourcing is everything. (laughs) (laughs) But at the same time with SEO, it doesn't always focus on local content. So like if I wanted to get my headshot page on my website to rank for Chattanooga headshot photographer, I don't want to flood my keywords throughout the page because Google will hate that. And I also don't want to consistently refer to myself as Chattanooga Anuga headshot photographer throughout the copy right. because it's a mouthful. No one really loves saying that, but I wanted I want to highlight that I am a Chattanooga headshot photographer. Where I may rank for headshot photographer somewhere on Google on the business listing, I can rank for Chattanooga headshot photographer because I've set it as a service, just headshot photographer. But I've also set up my service area to include Chattanooga. My listing is in Chattanooga, and I'm also serving around that area, which I'll get into when we talk about setting up the listing. Well, yeah. And so that's really a great segue. I mean, it's pretty obvious that this can be a pretty impactful tool. um, And especially if photographers don't already have it set up. So what, what is that process of setting up the listing, the Google, my business listing look like? Are there a certain number of steps, specific steps involved? Yeah, I think there's about seven or eight steps. Um, okay. The first is just going to be going to google.com slash business, which is where you will actually create your account. The second thing I do want to add in there is that you might actually have an account set up where if someone set it up for you or Google found you and set it up for you, if you have a location, that's always a possibility. You just have to go in and claim it. And there's there's different ways you can claim it, um, but it's very similar to how you would actually set it up. Okay. So if, if it's out there, claim it. Don't duplicate your listing. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. 
So once you actually set it up, it'll ask you for your business name, your address, categories, and service areas, and then like phone numbers and all of that. The thing that gets most people caught up and they don't want to do it is the address because a lot of people don't have studios. While that I can understand the the hesitation in actually creating a, a listing with your home address, you can always hide it once it's verified. Um, it will not show up on Google until you have it verified. And then once it is verified, you can just go in and hide it. So maybe this is a dumb question, but what's the what's the purpose in having the listing if the address is going to be hidden? Is it is it more about the SEO at that point? So you can still have service areas. Okay. So you can go in and add, like for my, for myself, I serve Udwa, Harrison, Chattanooga, Saudi Daisy, Hickson, and pretty much all the surrounding areas of Chattanooga. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, there is a town here <laughs> called Saudi Daisy. <laughs> Believe it or not. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I'm, I do serve all of those areas. So when you set that up, it'll allow you to say that you serve those areas. And then whenever you can have like an actual city that you, you would call your address. So most photographers are going to put Chattanooga. Sure. And then it'll just pop up in Chattanooga. It's not going to pop up at a specific address or it, it might. I, I think it's just like where they center Chattanooga on a map. Yeah, I guess it was a dumb question in the end because really what we're talking about is the significance of being present in that particular locale. So, I mean, you mentioned the various various locations that you're working out of. We don't need to actually show the potential client an address to be visible because they're looking for a photographer in that area. So that makes sense. Okay, cool. So we go in there, google.com slash business. Of course, we'll link to this in the show notes. Go set up the the personal business info associated with that business. Then what's next? So you'll choose the category and all of that. Um, and then at the very end, it's going to ask you to verify. And there's three different ways you can verify, but the most common is a postcard. Um, a lot of times it won't give you the other two options, which is by phone or email. So I did mine through a postcard. They send it to you within the next week. Really? You, Yes. And you get the postcard to your address that says, Hey, I got this. Let yeah. me use this address. And then it'll give you a little code that you type into your Google business listing and then you're set up. That's hilarious. That seems so yeah. old school, especially for Google, but, <laughs> but I get it. I mean, like they want to verify the actual yeah. physical location. That's wild. Right. Okay. Yeah. And then once you have like your verification and I think you can actually go in and do these next few steps while you're waiting to be verified. Okay. But adding photos is really important. Writing a really great business description that shares what you do and pretty much your brand position. And then start sharing posts to Google business, which I have not actually done this yet. It's something I need to start working on. And part of my outsourcing is using all of my blog posts to create those additional posts for Google so that, uh, because we'll get to this later, but that will help increase my rankings on across the board for all the services that I want to actually rank for. Speaking of delegation, I'm lucky enough to, to just kind of trust you with all of this type of stuff for <laughs> our brands. So when you talk about posting to Google business, I don't really know what that looks like. What is, is it, is it almost like in a blog format or what does it look like? So it's actually, it's more like Facebook. Um, if I were to create a post on Facebook, it's very similar to that. And then it just drives traffic to my website. Okay. Almost like Pinterest would drive traffic back to the to the original blog or the, web, the website where the content lives. Right. Correct. Huh. 
Okay. That's wild. I, the whole postcard thing is hilarious to me. Like I, <laughs> I, I would not have guessed that that would be one of the processes, but I guess they do have to verify that in some way. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, so, so tie this then back to making sure that our, our listing is actually ranking. I mean, you talked about how SEO and this business listing is related. Are there specific points here that, or I guess plans of action, steps, actionable steps, like I said earlier, that our listeners can take to make sure that their listing is actually ranking high in their locale? Yes. So uh, Google My Business focuses on the distance, the relevance, and the prominence of your listing and your business in the area. So what I would do, the very first thing, I've already said it, is to complete the full profile and claim the listing. Otherwise, you will not rank at all. And, um, and I mean, maybe that seems obvious for anybody listening in, but it, do you think there would be a tendency for some people to kind of get started but not go all the way through with it? Or what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I know for myself, I'll get really motivated to do something. For example, I could I could start today and I could go and create my Google business listing and then wait for the verification to come in and then get it, set it down on the kitchen table and never touch it again. <laughs> right. I'm like that type of person where I'll get motivated in for 30 minutes. And then if I have to wait, I'll lose my motivation. So (laughs) if you get motivated, get motivated again (laughs) when that comes in and then finish everything. Okay. So make sure you fill it out, but you talked about Mm -hmm. distance, relevance, and prominence. Um, can you break each of those down and how that relates to what the photographers need to do actively? Yes. So for distance, um, your, this is where an address does come in handy. If you are okay with your business or your home address, if you don't have a studio, if you're okay with it being out there, I would leave it out there. Um, truthfully, it is really easy to find where someone lives. I know locally, at least in our area, I can go and I can Google most of my friends' names and their address pops up. It's public record. Okay. So if you are open to leaving your home address on there, I would leave it. Or if you have a co-working space, you could also use that address. Um, There are a lot of different things you could do here, but as long as you are located in the area that you are most likely trying to serve, that's where the distance piece comes into play. But the advantage of actually having your specific address listed is that the search results are more specific for the person searching? Correct. Yes. Got it. Okay. And when it comes to relevance, making sure your categories are accurate is really important and that your website has something on it related to each category you actually select. So for myself, I have the photography, marketing, and podcast production sections of my website. And I do have my studio listed as a photography studio, photography services, and the marketing services. Um, I don't have podcast production on there just because it's not a category on Google yet. I, which is a little bit surprising as, as mm-hmm. popular as podcasts are these days. Um, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if that maybe later pops up as an option. Mm-hmm. So yeah. making sure that the categories are actually the correct categories are chosen and that they're tied to the specific pages. Yes. And then within your categories, you can add uh, services that you actually provide. So these are not um, automated by Google. Like hmm. you can add in whatever you want under each category as a service. Okay. So that will also help with your relevance. And then as a photographer, having high quality photos is going to be really important too. These photos will allow for Google to see that you do have the relevance of being a photographer, but also it gives your, your potential clients something to review so, like a portfolio. 
And fortunately, you have a, a fancy camera and halfway decent <laughs> photography skills. You can get some decent images, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and additionally, having reviews from your past clients is also important. And then okay. encouraging them to use photos in their reviews. This is something I haven't done too much of um, just because most of my reviews have come from other photographers. And I don't want to encourage them to leave their own photos on my listing <laughs> right. in, case, in case someone thinks that it's my work because I don't want them to get the wrong idea by any means. But I am I am mostly using my listing for studio rentals versus photography itself. That is starting to make a transition. I'm changing that to do both. But at the same time, I want to make sure that I'm respecting other photographers and not trying to claim their own photos as my work. Oh, sure. But, but having those reviews is really important and it's something that I have added into my workflow. So after every rental, if they haven't rented before, or I haven't asked in like the first few months that they rented when I first opened, um, I will send them a feedback request. So I'm asking them to fill out a survey to get their feedback on what they would like to see in the studio or added to the studio. And then I also ask them if they enjoyed their experience to leave a Google review. And most of the time, about 80% of people do both. Which makes a difference then when it comes to, I, I'm assuming, does this all tie then into the, the idea of prominence as well? What, what helps prop up that listing? So that'll, um, it will help with the relevance. Relevance okay. of if this is actually what my, what the searcher on Google is looking for. I don't know if searcher is the correct word, but we'll use it today. That, that, that works we'll for use me. It today. All right. What the searcher is looking for. If they're looking for a photography studio, do my reviews reflect that? Okay. So then take us to the prominence piece because obviously everybody wants to be prominent, but I'm sure that it doesn't happen automatically. Yes. So with prominence, I've found that very much like SEO um, and backlinking. So like if I wanted to link to another vendor site that will help their SEO with Google, my business listings, if your business is being mentioned on other sites, it doesn't even have to be linked to, it can just be mentioned that will help with the prominence of your listing. So Google will crawl the web for your address, your phone number, your business name on all sites that are, you know, within the Google search results to find if your site is mentioned or if your business is mentioned in any way. And that will help with your domain authority. Wow. Well, I, or listing authority, I guess is the better word, um, which is awesome for photographers that do require photo credit. Okay, so just making sure that you exist elsewhere, kind of like you're saying, like like the backlinks, but this is yes. just a mention. I mean, how would you actually do that? Because it's one thing to say, hey, I've got a you know blog post that might be really valuable to your potential clients. Will you link to this? And that helps with SEO. How do you make sure that these other websites are listing your business information? Yeah, so what I found to be really helpful is having the photo credit on Instagram and Facebook because those are crawled as well. Google does rank a lot of Instagram accounts. Like if you were to search for the studio by Gaffin Creative, my Instagram account does pull up in the search results. Okay. Um, so one thing I'm working on is changing my Instagram handle to something that's more valuable because I do get called Gaffin Creative Studio, which is fine. But at the same time, if I'm being tagged in things, it's not helping with my prominence. But the studio by Gaffin Creative is too long for Instagram. <laughs> so I do have a, if you tag a location, 
in your photos on Instagram, it is the studio by Gaffin Creative and it links to my business listing. Um, that's actually where the locations on Instagram come from is from Google business listings. Okay. So anything else in particular that can be done to encourage that, that prominence, is there any SEO work specifically that can be done to kind of point to the Google business listing or are they, do they just function almost separately from each other? So they do, they do tie in together. Uh, one thing I would encourage working on is working on the local geographical components of your website. So if that means that you want to rank for Chattanooga wedding photographer or Chattanooga, whatever photographer or whatever location you're in using that, just kind of sprinkling it through your site so that the location is obvious on your website and that'll tie together so that it will help you boost and rank in both sides of Google My Business and your website. Um, Another thing that I've recently found is embedding your map on your website apparently does help. So I've recently done this. It's the Google My Business listing map. It's on the footer of only the, the studio page of my website because I don't love how it looks. But I do get questions all the time, where is my studio actually located? Because I didn't have it listed on my website. It was just Chattanooga Photography Studio. Okay, so I, I went over to gaffincreative.com slash studio for anybody who's curious and wants to take a look. Um, by the way, the page is really great. It's just got so many pictures highlighting this the studio. But you scroll all the way down to the bottom, and you've got a, a contact form, but then uh, basic info, contact information, email address, social media, uh, the address, but then that map that you talk about, and that's that's just been embedded there at the bottom of the page. And, and you're saying that can actually help boost your presence as well. Yes. So that'll help. Um, one thing I will say that I've noticed with, especially with doing some research on like how I'm ranking is that listings that have been up on Google for a very long time do tend to rank really well, even with none of this stuff happening. I don't know why. I don't think there's a rhyme or reason other than the age of the listing. Um, but there are some photographers that have been around for 10, 15 years that have absolutely nothing in their listings and no reviews, but they are ranking number two and number three. Wow. Which somehow or another, I don't know how they, they're doing it, but it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think there are some things that don't always work for everyone. And maybe just a, the age of your account also has something to do with it. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't have all the secrets, right? Um, But I I think this is actually a really great introductory conversation to not only the significance of the Google My Business listing, but how to get set up with it. And um, for those of you listening in who haven't set up your listing, or at least not thoroughly, uh, completed that listing and and set it up in such a way that will help highlight your business, go take a few minutes to do that. Um, I know that we're starting to hit busy season, particularly for wedding, I guess, portrait photographers as well. Uh, and especially as COVID has kind of it seemingly backed off a little bit at this point, and we've at least been able to shoot a little bit more than we were, say, two or three months ago. Uh, but take advantage of an opportunity to get a little bit more or to see a little bit more effectively online and fill out your business listing. And, and Haley, thank you for sharing your experience with it and, and your perspective and uh, the way that you've utilized it. Will you just remind our listeners too, just one more time, uh, how they can find you and follow you online going forward? Yeah. Uh, so on Instagram, it's just Haley Gaffin, H-A-Y-L-E-E-G-A-F-F-I-N. And then my website is gaffincreative.com. Cool. 
And uh, we'll link to all of these in the show notes, bocapodcast.com. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening in. Thank you, Nathan. Thanks so much, photographers, for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at bocapodcast.com. Make sure to visit our sponsors, photographersedit.com, custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and milu.com, that's M-I-I-L-U.com, the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.